J.M. and A.M. Friday on this era of Shabbos Parshas Vayera. Candle lighting at 425. Be careful. Very early. Candle lighting at 425. Malcolm Honline is with us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update Friday mornings. Mr. Honline, welcome back to J.M. and the A.M. Thank you. Always good to be with you on Friday morning. I appreciate that, uh, especially when we're playing Shlomo Kalbach. Um, so the um, we know about the attacks, Jerusalem, Gush Etzion, etc., this week in Israel, the the Gush Etzion uh, attack, where three soldiers are mowed down by a, a motorist, is that being considered a car accident or a terrorist attack? Well, it's under review. They originally it was described as a terrorist attack, and uh, then they revised it uh, in, and said that it could have been just a traffic accident. And the fact that he turned himself in and explained things to police, they are now. Leaning in that direction. They're leaning in that direction, right. Malcolm, this is a new category of terror attacks. According to what I saw in this morning's Hamodia, it actually, or maybe it was yesterday's, it actually has a name. It's called Das, the Arabic word for runover. Just like intifada and other Arabic words have sneaked into the regular vernacular, now this could become a, 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 a reference to a regular type of attack on Israelis. Well, we did see the other attacks at the railroads and... The um, we don't know what other attempted incidents there were some others reported so that the, the, the and they label it and you're right by labeling it it tells you that, that this is not just haphazard incidents there are uh, you know of course we know that Qatari money goes into behind some of these activities we know that the PA has been involved in, in extensive incitement in every one of their media and including by President uh, Abbas. Uh, who called for, or essentially called for the violence on the Temple Mount, and every, they know very well that there's no more sensitive button to push than to say Al-Aqsa is under siege, uh, what they call Haram al-Sharif, all of a sudden now that has equal billing um, uh, from American officials and others with the, the Temple Mount, and the, uh, that they uh, know that they'll evoke a reaction. And young people who were asked why they were going there said, well, we were told that the that the uh, that the, they were burning down Al Aqsa. There was a fire at Al Aqsa, but it was caused by the fireworks which were stored there. And this is another new dimension that's been added to Nahum. That is, uh, you know, beyond rocks and and uh, pipes and other things that they use uh, in in the violence. Now they've taken firecrackers and they shoot them. Uh, fireworks, not just firecrackers, and shoot them at the police, which can hurt, they burn, they uh, can do uh, they do physical damage as well. And they had big stockpiles of them in the mosque, along with stones, along with uh, other things. Well, so can't, the, can't go confiscated. It might, you know, it, it might rile up the crowd, you know what I mean? When, and what would they do for Fourth of July? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so the, the I think what you're pointing to is, is, is very important, that this is not spontaneous in, for the most part. There may be times that were. This is not youth. Many of those are arrested with 30s and 40s, uh, even older. They were, uh, and the youth who were involved were often paid to carry out these taxes. You know, the police, the Israeli police will be very mild in their reaction to them. Yeah, and we've course. got to see the real crackdown, as we've called for for a long time, and meaning that parents have to be held to account, have to pay fines, have to 
even face jail sentence. Yeah, the Prime Minister is talking about family responsibility and all that. But And I want to talk more about Harabayat, especially for those of us concerned about the unity of the Jewish people, especially uh, you know in the aftermath of the war this summer and everyone being under the impression that we could really stay unified and all that. And we'll get to all of that. But I'm, And I know I've asked similar questions in past weeks. How do, you, how do we, as average people, see this incitement as being any different than it has been? In other words, now for some reason, Mahmoud Abbas and Bennett, by the way, had an amazing... I thought a great quote this week. Uh, I mean, I'll paraphrase the quote, but he essentially said that this terrorist in Yerushalayim was a messenger of Abbas. That that's how they view it at this point, because the incitement is so blatant. Uh, why is it any different in November of 2014 than it was years ago? How would how would you or anybody who follows the the media reports um, detect that there's you know a much stronger rhetoric coming out from people like Abbas, or the incitement is so much worse than it was months or years ago? Well, it's not worse than it was before the Intifada, and, it, it, and nobody said this is the worst that we've ever seen it. But I think the reaction to it is, is number one, that it's coming from him, you know, who's supposed to be the president, and the world is saying that Israel should negotiate with at a time when Europeans and others, almost daily we hear of another country considering a resolution or an action to recognize, even if not legally, the, a, a Palestinian state, at a time when they're threatening to go to the Security Council, and and trying to enlist international support for that measure, that they at the same time are engaging these kind of activities when you see the extensiveness and the amount of investment in this effort, that it's not spontaneous, that it's not a reaction to something Israel did, but it is a, a uh, an organized effort targeting Jerusalem and, and saying, uh, Abbas himself saying that we have no history Right. But was he saying less uh, statements of incitement a year ago? Was his level or volume of incitement statements less months or years ago? I think the context was somewhat different, but, I mean, this this has been a steady diet. I do think that, that he his comments personally have been in more, are more intensive. He often had other people say the things for him, but... Uh, if your point is, has this happened in the past? The answer is yes. And is, is, the, is the alignment with Hamas at all responsible for this, or that's just a convenient excuse? Like, no. is, there, is there an influence now from the even more radical wing of the PA? No, because I don't think he's cooperating or working with them. I think that that you know this is, that was all a legal fiction. I think that he, in fact, is motivated by Hamas. Yes, but not because they're behind it, but because he's competing with them. And he thinks this gives him legitimacy and, you know, in the, quote, street by uh, being out there out front and inciting against Israel. And that, you know, of course, um, is to give the appearance of leadership when, in fact, it's anything but that. So today on Harabayat, today's Friday, on Harabayat, on the Temple Mount, have things been relatively quiet? Is today a regular day, so to speak? I, I, I haven't seen any reports indicating that anything happened there yet. But it, it, And I must say the Israeli police have been acting with great restraint and great care. But um, one of the things that really grew out of this, and that will be the the test is King Abdallah, who, as you know, Jordan was given certain rights uh, uh, over the Temple Mount, that he gave him uh, Harabayas, that uh, Netanyahu assured him that nothing is going to change there. And that Jews won't pray there. He has special status uh, regarding Jerusalem. Did he recall his ambassador because of this? Yes. Isn't that, for, for somebody who's trying to 
you know, continue the cooperation with Israel and the prime minister graciously gives in or agrees to continue things the way they are, isn't that a pretty radical move? It's an extreme move, and I'm not sure why he would do it, because, as you know, he and, and the prime minister have been working very closely together. Uh, I would say, to a large degree, his security is uh, rests within the cooperation with Israel. They have a lot of common enemies, you know, and these days. They, ha- they have many common enemies, which is why this extreme measure, it's expressing displeasure or concern or asserting his right, because, you know, there's competition between... The Saudis, Moroccans, the Jordanians over Temple Mount, because that, you know, they, they all assert themselves as the descendants of Muhammad to be having the right to to control or to to be responsible for. And uh, when it came to repairs and stuff, the government of Jordan did do uh, pay for part of it or, or large parts of it. Uh, so it it has a lot of entanglements. There are a lot of different as facets to this as to why the king would do it. I think it, it is an overreaction and. This, this place is the real responsibility, which is on the PA and the Hamas and the, Hamas and the people, the local leadership, and say that all of a sudden Israel, which is only reacting to this terror, and I will say acted with, I believe, sometimes too much restraint uh-huh. when this was going on at the Harazazim, which we talked about, that when the violence was on the Mount of Olives weeks ago, and, and we communicated a message, if you don't stop it there, it's just going to grow. We're going to yeah. invite the expansion, because if, if they think they get away with it and they test it, then they're going to continue to expand it. And sure enough, along the right, the railroad, first the rock, the stones, and then it gets cars, and then we saw escalation of violence with physical assaults, and then, unfortunately, these lethal attacks. So with all this cooperation regarding the Temple Mount being out there and that being the backdrop for this whole discussion, at the same time, you certainly, and hopefully other people who are listening, understand the importance politically of Jews maintaining their right and whatever rights they've been given and their historic uh, presence on Harabayat, on the Temple Mount. And by the way, this week's Parsha, very, very telling, right? A very, very good time to discuss this. And and uh, Rav Yitzchak Yosef at the funeral, and I don't think this was a halachic statement, I think it was more a political statement, said Jews should stop going to the Temple Mount because it leads to murder, and obviously what he meant is if you go to the Temple Mount, you continue to incite the Arabs. Shouldn't it politically, we're not in a halachic discussion here, Malcolm, politically, isn't it exactly the opposite? Wouldn't you like to see that within the proper political parameters, Jews continue to go and show the world that, in fact, historically and for today, the Temple Mount is vital to us? If you don't go and you, you abandon it, on the other hand, I think that Israel has set rules which are not reasonable because they, in fact, discriminate against Jews, but they are practical, and that the absence of Jews, if we don't go at all, uh, I think does abandon the site. And and this whole rewriting of history that all of a sudden the Temple Mount is such a sacred place, the Muslims Muslims turned their back on, on Jerusalem. You know, there is Mecca, there's Medina, this is, comes in third or maybe even lower in, in the hierarchy of holy places and for Jews, it is the only but we need holy. But we need to demonstrate that. Whether it means physically walking up there or not, we need to demonstrate that. That's why it's frustrating sometimes when rabbinic and political leaders, and I know they are greater men than I am, are telling people to avoid it instead of trying to think of an accommodation where we can achieve this political goal 
uh, and this important, uh, you know, open statement, public statement, while at the same time adhering to the rules that are in place that Israel and Jordan have agreed to. It's a legitimate issue. Question: uh, Obviously, security and, the, and and safety is the number one concern. But there's a, a history to this, and we've had our the position eroded over time because of the constant concessions, rather than an accord that if that's done, been done in '67 when it could have been done. Oh yeah, well, and, yeah. Let's not go back there. When's the next time you're meeting with the chief rabbis? You do see them occasionally in Israel, right? I'll so, be in Israel next week. And, an important thing. I'm not saying I'm not demanding you tell him, you know, one way or the other, but certainly an important topic to bring up in light of his statement. Well, I think it's more than than the chief rabbis. I don't think it's a religious issue. Right. I think it was said more politically this it time. It has to be. It's the high. It's the political echelons and others who have to assure the continued access at the right time, and the you know the the presence of security. In Jerusalem, and the proper amount and the preventative measures, because once you have to react, you're going to as and people already talk about a third intifada, using all sorts of new terminology uh, and adjectives to it. But yeah. even that talk is dangerous. By the way, uh, I, I don't know if it's true with social media. You never know what's true, but apparently there is a report that Facebook took down Rabbi Yehuda Glick's Facebook page. Uh, this is a man whose whose interest was only bridging uh, the gaps between Israelis and Arabs. That's number one, and of course, you know, the Temple Mount being a very important cause for him. But but you know, peaceful people who would never dream of harming somebody else are painted as these crazy radicals. I knew the Glick family before they went on Aliyah. Uh, Doctor Glick, the father of Rabbi Glick, uh, was a doctor who saved countless lives and served the people of Israel, Jews and Arabs alike. He, this young man, by no definition was he a radical. He was an activist. Uh, NPR, right away, the first day, called him an extremist. They don't call the murderers of ISIS extremists, but they called him an extremist. And, uh, and in fact, he is anything but an extremist. He was devoted and committed to the idea that Jews should have access, but together with Muslims. Yeah. And, uh... You know, it's, just, it's very unfortunate because this, this feeds into, and I'm saying you have to see it in the larger context of the goals that, that Abbas has set uh, for uh, the coming weeks and months in terms of advancing the, the cause, his cause, without negotiations with Israel, but through Im, uh, implementation of Security Council resolutions and other steps. Oh, unbelievable. By the way, on the Zivotofsky case, which a few people brought up to me, because obviously now more, even more high profile as we think the Supreme Court's going to rule. Very simply, they want the passport to say Jerusalem, Israel, right? That, that, that's, that's, the, that's the bottom line. That's they want the it to say line. Jerusalem, Israel, and now the Supreme Court, and it looks like they're going to rule against it, or is it really hard to speculate when it comes to this stuff? The court seems to be split, and we, we saw some comments uh, from Judge Sotomayor, which were really pretty offensive. Um, uh, telling the, the the lawyer for the Zivotomskys, Ms. Um, Lewin, that uh, she was lying or saying it's a lie, that the government doesn't recognize it. I'm not sure they understand uh, exactly what the case entails. It, it's, it's not a question of determining the geography. The geography was determined. Right. It was a question of determining whether this impinges on presidential prerogatives and foreign policy, which is what the, the government is arguing, and that and the Bush administration argued as well, um, and that putting Jerusalem there. Now, what about West Jerusalem? Everybody recognizes that, and uh, as as Israel, and why why P 
people born there can't be declared as residents of Jerusalem, Israel. It is as if Jerusalem is floating out there without any attachment to a, to a state, to an entity. And the uh, so that is the principle, I think, for the Zivotovskis and others uh, that's involved in this. The court has a different legal issue to deal with. And we saw that the comments already made indicate that a real split within amongst the members of the court. All right. It's a shame that the Bush administration didn't act uh, more strongly on this issue, right? They could have had a greater influence at that time. Of course. Yeah. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmdm.org, 24 hours of Kalbach. Starts tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream at jmnam.org. Make sure to be tuned in and enjoy it all the way through uh, a Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You know, we talk about the unity of the Jewish people. You've spoken a lot about it over the last few weeks, uh, especially in light of the unity that we saw um, at the time of the kidnappings, uh, the uh, unity that we saw during the war this summer. Uh, you gave us a... Uh, uh, a talk about all this around the time of the high holidays that please God it should continue through the new year. Now we, now we see the controversy over the conversion law and, uh, the different, um, uh, votes and rulings that have taken place over the last few days. And Malcolm, I start to worry about, uh, the possibility of a fracture in the, in the, an additional fracture in the Jewish people and the people of Israel. Um, as, is, is it as, is this conversion law subject? as potentially um, fracturing as I'm worried about? Well, it can it certainly cause division, and there are people who feel very strongly on both sides of this issue for halachic and non-halachic reasons, for unity reasons, for uh, those who, who uh, for, from different streams who have different approaches to it. But I think that the, the issue goes far beyond it and that the what we have seen in terms of some of the statements and the criticisms uh, emerging again from uh, elements in the Israeli society, without thinking of the consequences of the time when we see the delegitimization movement, when you see the uh, efforts to, to counter Israel, to deny Israel fundamental rights, uh, that they feed that. It's not one thing that you can be critical of a policy. You can debate a policy. You can agree or disagree with Netanyahu over policies. But it goes far beyond it, and when you have generals and others, you know, as more than second-guessing and, and expressing the kind of public criticisms, this is very troubling. So it's not just in the religious world. It's in the political and military world as well. It, it, it comes as a question of the atmosphere, and, and for so long we enjoyed during this war unique support. And I will tell you that when the, the comments came out about the, the prime minister in the Atlantic article, there was unity in Israel about it, and and in everyone took offense to Abbas's it. statements. We see left and right criticizing. So I don't think the unity is completely gone. I think people recognize that this is a serious time. Yeah, and the Netanyahu comments. I think everyone took it personally. That's true. It, it, yes, exactly. And and people rallied to Netanyahu. I mean, he was people right. tell me he was smiling. You know, because I know, but it must drive you nuts when 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 halachic giants who you know are openly, by name, condemning other halachic giants who you know. It, it just, it's got to drive you crazy. It has long roots in Jewish history. I understand that, but they condemn certain rabbis, and you know, you know them personally and know that, that they, 
and, and know what, what even if it weren't such a serious time, that kind of public rhetoric, people have to they have to go back and study Shemir Salashan and you know those who, who lecture others about it, but don't practice it and and don't think about the consequences. And even if their motivation is not a negative one, and and they believe that they're asserting you know for the right reasons, but they got to think of the consequences in in, in all of this and. You know, he, he, the American people, it's part of the reaction to this election. I think a lot of people have to think about their rhetoric, what they said, how they said it, what the American people seem to want uh, from from our elected officials, and I think people in Israel want, and especially for young people. And if you use the kind of language that some people have used, and not in the halachic issues, which I don't deal with, but with the political issues, then these things become fodder for the anti-Israel campaign. All they do is start quoting Israelis saying the things that they really want to say and using it out of context and in a very different setting on our campuses and in the media and in other places. Oh, no question about it. Lee Zeldin, by the way, was scheduled to join us this morning but had to postpone at the last minute. I assume we'll speak to him next week. He'll be the only Jewish Republican in the entire United States Congress. So that's one change. There, there's again a Jewish Republican, this time from New York. How ironic. And uh, in general, uh, what do you say about the midterm elections? Uh, simply those who are passionate enough to come out and vote came out and voted? Is that how you look at it in the end? Uh, Everyone else basically... I can say is that it's over. <laughs> and when you think of the, I would say, billions of dollars that were probably spent, or certainly hundreds of millions of dollars that were spent, you had $100 million races in, in, in Senate races in, in some places. That I mean, it's mind-boggling about the amount of money and the the uh, in, in multiple places and in, in the aggregate it's uh, somewhat astounding how much money was spent second um, I, I think that the you know Zeldin's uh, presence of course maintains with with Eric Cantor leaving having or having left uh, there wasn't any Jewish members and now yeah. you have one again <laughs> but overall you know we had as many as 30 31 Maybe even 33 members, Jewish members in the House today. I think it's less; it's about 15. And in the Senate, it was up to 11, and I think now it's four or five. How do you explain it? Well, I don't think they were defeated because they were Jews. I don't <laughs> think they were elected because they were Jews. I think Jews are still electable all over the country. You know, it is rotational, and there are demographic changes that take place, and the, in, in urban areas, especially where Jews were prevalent, and and. Um, Maybe they've come to the realization that politics is just not the job for a nice Jewish boy or girl. <laughs> no, I think I, I hope that is not the conclusion. I think that uh, I hope that Jews continue to run. I hope people, good people, run. Uh, it, it doesn't matter to me as much about what the person's ethnicity, religion, anything else is, as much as how they view the world, how what kind of commitment they make. Will they be honest and determined? Will they stand up and to truth to power? And we see that, that that is the case. We had this week uh, Bob Menendez speak to our task force in Iran, which is chaired by uh, former Senator Joe Lieberman. And when you see somebody like that who stands up, he tells the truth, he's intelligent, he has a clear picture, he understands what's at stake, You know, it gives you a confidence in, in elected officials. And I think that there's more quality there than people yeah. tend to, to realize. We had Danny Ayalon on on Wednesday post the election, getting his analysis. He had a lot of high praise for a lot of the members of the United States, especially the Senate. In fact, he uh, he, he very high on Mitch McConnell. thinks he's a great 
a great leader. And I didn't realize how ambassadors and high-profile senators and congressmen really form very close relationships during their tenure in Washington. They do. They well, and and you know, many of them visit Israel. Many of them have relationships. Many of them are very committed to Israel right. and to the U.S.-Israel relationship and to to recognizing the importance of Israel to the United States, the two-way relationship. You see it now in the concerns that they're expressing regarding the Iran policy. It's not because uh, of Israel. It's because of seeing America's interests and Israel's interests coincide. And they're concerned, of course, about the threats to our allies, whether it's Saudi Arabia, the Gulf, etc., and Israel. Um, So there is a a, a tremendous um, spring of support amongst the American people for Israel. It, it, it is tested constantly, but it's, it's there, and we see the support expressed in many ways. This election did not deal with foreign policy, but I do think that in the next two years you will see much more of an emphasis on foreign policy, because that, that, and people are concerned about their security. They're concerned about ISIS. They're concerned about uh, other, the, the trend of America's and America's position in the world, and they look at all this panoply of issues that we discuss. Well, you know what's going to determine that, frankly? The, the, the more terrorism shows up in our backyards, the, the more people are going to be concerned about foreign policy. And the closer it comes, yeah. or, God forbid, the actual incidents. Exactly. Absolutely. And if they happen in Europe and people say it's happening there, it's going to happen the here. The price but we're going to... happening here. Right. So it's not hypothetical. I don't know why, that they're what they're waiting for to recognize the number of incidents that have, are taking place in the United States. Yeah. And the... Uh, you know, especially the concerned heightened because of the foreign fighters who are coming back from Syria to Canada, the United States, to, to other places who will be able to visit the United States then because they carry foreign passports. They come from European countries. It's a, it's a whole different quality problem, and tracking them is difficult, and, and, and knowing where they were or who, who everyone is. It's going to be very hard. I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out the uh, the, the um, officials thing here with the Mavi Marmara. Is is it now over the uh, International Criminal Court investigation? They turned down uh, uh, taking up the case and said that the uh, and Mavi Marmara, for those who remember, was the Turkish sponsored ship IHH that went to uh, try to to break Israel's blockade. It was confrontation that was in May of uh, 2010, and they say the allegations are not of sufficient gravity to warrant them investigating it. So is Israel so, now off the hook or not? Yes. That's it? It's over? For this, yes. With the International Criminal Court, I think it's done. Uh, what did this tell you about the president, his reaction to the midterm election? He's had a very interesting couple of days, Wednesday and Thursday. Today also, with the leadership meeting in Washington, should be interesting. Uh, you know, we, and I, I said this to uh, Denny Ayalon on the air, we, we would have loved for the president and anybody really, excuse me, high up in the White House, to come out with a statement just as a symbolic gesture of how outrageous that comment was about the Prime Minister of Israel, whether it was true or not. Just, you know, we wanted to see some passion on this issue, and of course, that never developed. When you see the President's attitude, it's still, he, he still seems that he's reluctant to give in to the other side. Is, does this tell us more about how he's been dealing with Israel as well? There's a, a certain stubbornness, a certain uh, desire not to give in, even on the symbolic level when it comes to dealing with the Prime Minister? Well, I think it's uh, hard while the president's in office to psychoanalyze and to know exactly what direction. And remember, it's also influenced by people around him, although 
again, in this White House, it's primarily circled, uh, centered around the president. Um, that the, I, I agree with you that the, I would have liked to have seen some action on their part against the person responsible. Or even a strong statement. Pardon me? Even a strong statement, even if you're not firing Harry anybody. Harry did issue a very strong statement, uh, and it, it was over a weekend, so it didn't get much pickup, but he, he, he called it unacceptable, disgraceful, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He called the prime minister. He spoke to him for an hour uh, about this initially, and then, of course, about other issues. Uh, some people say that he reacted so strongly because the White House was implying to members of the Congress who were complaining about the statement that in fact came from a State Department official. The appearance, I think, is that it's the, the assumption is that it's actually from a White House official, and who it is is, is one of the issues of speculation in Washington. Right. You know, they probably have a, a lottery about it about who's the uh, <laughs> person involved. I don't know if we'll ever know. That, that means they'll decide who takes the fall. Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, but but here's the critical issue to me. It's not just the insult to the prime minister and to a close ally, and to use a term like that. There's been too much sniping on both sides, And but when Yalom was caught, not in a public statement, not in an on-the-record statement, but in a private comment, he apologized right away for it. That's right. And, and they're demanding more of an apology, and you saw that the stories that he was denied uh, certain visits. Mm-hmm. But to me, the critical thing is, how do the countries in the region read it? Yep. You can't think just how does the, uh, you know, the subscribers to Atlantic... Um, look at that statement and they chuckle and they laugh and they make whatever assumptions they want but think how do the arab leaders how does iran read it how does how do the, how does isis and the enemy hezbollah hamas do they see it as a, as a real wedge between the united states and israel and, and a real division that they will exploit and that has been the history all along and what we've tried to tell the president all along and that is that when there are differences you deal with them quietly to have this kind of childish exchanges and to have uh, the kind of characterization that was in that article, and the term, I don't even know how it applies or what it means in this case, but the, the, uh, you know, the countries in the region look at those things, and they say, look, if Israel can't rely on, on its relationship with the United States, what chance do we have? Well, and others will say, now's the time. Now we can start putting the pressure, and, and if I were Abbas, I would exploit it too and say, look, I can pressure because the, the president, the White House, whatever, they don't like Netanyahu. Now's the time for me to exploit it. It's not going to be true. The relationship in many regards, and certainly on the military and security level, and, and you saw Secretary Hagel's uh, statements at, on this, but more and his uh, embrace of Yalom when he came. But when the ch- uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs uh, yesterday said, talked about the extraordinary lengths that Israel went to, to prevent civilian casualties. And you see others from the military speaking up in support of, of Israel and the U.S. Israel relationship and mutuality of, of that. And the president always makes reference to that and the intelligence cooperation and other areas where cooperation is ongoing. But if you poison the atmosphere, if you allow on, on any side people to, to break the public perception of the commonality of interest when we face such vital life and death threats. I think it's uh, people have to be held to account, and that's why it's taken so seriously. And in other cases, might have been dismissed and laughed off. Yeah, well said. Um, for the people think about traveling to Israel, and uh, we already heard warnings from different folks in uh, in Israel about attitudes from American Jews because of these couple of attacks over the last couple of weeks. Can can Jerusalem's officials, in fact, bring? 
security back to Yerushalayim the way it should be. Uh, this, these, the, the potential for danger with this light rail, which was an issue before it was built. You may remember that it was an issue before it was built. Uh, now, to some degree, has come to reality. How are they going to deal with it? Uh, well, first of all, I think most people know from past that you can be in Yerushalayim and not know any of this is going is taking place. And my grandson, who's learning in Israel, told me that he walked to the hotel uh, during the week. He had no problem, and that uh, people are continuing to go. There are isolated times when you've had these incidents, and I know that, uh, and that sometimes the tear gas that might be fired wafts over. But the but by and large, people life goes on as normal in Yerushalayim and everywhere else. And people should not hesitate to visit. You can be careful where you go, perhaps. If you don't want to take the light railroad, fine. But the, you know, that, that is a small percentage of Israel and a small percentage of Yerushalayim. Finally, uh, if my calendar is correct, it's two weeks from Monday, the deadline with Iran, right? 24th? It is, absolutely. Um, the midterm elections will, will affect and this little bit of a shift and the attitude of the president that we just discussed a moment ago will affect what's going to happen on the 24th in terms of reaction uh, to the report. What's the what do you what position today will is the United States in and is President Obama in to deal with this different than before the midterm elections? Anything different? Well, the revelation that uh, he had this correspondence with Khamenei and it's proven true, and I think it's likely to be so because they don't deny that it was it was about cooperation against ISIS and there have been uh, reports people claiming that there's been other backdoor channels direct indirect uh, if you remember a couple weeks ago there was a big contretemps because the Iranians kept saying that the Americans approached them Biden approached them president other emissaries and they kept saying no they would not cooperate and the United States said we don't want their cooperation in Iraq now we see again these uh, supposed uh, approaches to, to get their cooperation against ISIS. We have to remember what we're doing is inviting Iraq, Iran, who this week declared that they now are controlling four Arab capitals, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and Yemen. You see how they are trying to encircle the Arab, uh, Arab Middle East, how they are assertive. So beyond the nuclear program, and, and I want people to know because we're coming to a critical stage now and they should be in touch with their elected officials about this because the debate, the discussion went from having no centrifuges, from dismantling their nuclear program to saying now it's about the breakout period. How long from the time we detected to the time they have a bomb? To see that they started talking about no centrifuges, then 150, 500, thing, and now we're talking about 6,000 uh, centrifuges according to reports. We see the, the, the erosion again of the standards that were set. And what do you think the reaction will be? You will see Saudi Arabia and other countries will go for, for the uh, weapons. And the 6,000 figure came from a website, the Iranian website, that is tied to the, uh, to, to the foreign ministry. And the question is whether he actually presented a framework uh, agreement, whether, uh, I mean, there are a lot of questions that keep coming up. The president said again yesterday, no deal is better than a bad deal. The question is, how do you define a bad deal? And if we see the census, and I've heard this from members of Congress and others, that the, the, the erosion of the standards uh, that were, were set as the absolute red lines about what we would, would accept, they can, and now the president said they can't have the capacity to develop. Now, one is that they moved ahead on the missile program all along. Two is that they moved ahead on weaponization because it's not covered by the agreement. 
Then you have enrichment, and they continue to enrich, and they continue to develop better centrifuges, all of which mitigates against the, you know, the, the standards that we've used in the past because they, they don't need as much enriched uranium because they can enrich it much faster. And about the hidden facilities, about the fact that even in the last week, inspectors were not given access um, uh, to the site. So one, got to think about what's happening in the country. Two, how do the others? Well, if you're Egypt and you look at this uh, situation, you know that Iran is meddling in the Sinai and that the and is as is ISIS, and they just broke a cell uh, that that was made up of ISIS members who were carrying out. Uh, the attacks, and they're moving two more brigades into, at, with Israel's permission, to, um, uh, two battalions rather, uh, and a fleet of helicopters to, to continue to fight uh, these terrorists who are supported by um, by, uh, by uh, Iran. And they found hundreds of new tunnels between Gaza and Sinai, which they are moving to to close, and they're building this uh, uh, the buffer zone. Iran is continuing all of this time to be the leading state sponsor of terrorism. They stonewall the inspectors. They stonewall the United Nations. Amano said we have almost, at the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency, there's almost no progress in finding in, in the reconnaissance and the information that they're supposed to be getting and the, about the allegations of weapons development. And, and the world is now looking at the potential at a time when we have them over a barrel because of the drop of oil. They need $105 a barrel oil. That's what they put in their budget. When it's now below 80, that's a time you have absolute maximum leverage to to deal with uh, to deal with Iran, and we should be putting down markers for more demands, not less demands, and that the the coming out of this with an extension that gives them and and the debate has now come whether it's relief from sanctions, meaning a, a temporary gesture. Or suspension. They're saying suspension, we have to go to Congress. Relief, we don't have to. But for the Iranians, it's the same. Whether you suspend it or yeah. whether you, you end no them or you relieve them from it, they will get the benefit, yeah. no matter what. They're buying time, and either way, they'll get that time. And they get it, and they can move on. And, and, and you're seeing their continued involvement, whether it's uh, in, in, in Iran, in Syria. And we've seen defeats for Hezbollah. We see... Uh, by the way, defeats for al-Nusra and even and for the rebel groups, we see, you know, everything is changing every day. And regrettably, we don't have time to, to go into it because it's a, it's a very, very interesting and complicated situation about what's happening there, what's happening in Lebanon, where Hezbollah had to set up a security zone to protect the, the Shiite population in their areas. Um, and, and at the same time, we see al-Nusra and other groups breaking through the, the border of, uh, of, of Lebanon as well, as well. So another country whose borders uh, are disappearing. But Iran is the number one issue, and Iran has to be the focus, and we have to demand that our elected officials stand up like uh, Menendez and demand action, demand that they, they have ready uh, bills to move immediately uh, on midnight uh, of September 24th or whether yeah, it's the 25th, uh, 1 a.m. on the 25th November of November to to act against uh, if if Iran continues to stall that postponement is not confronting it and and buying time only gives them more time to continue all of their nefarious activities and to to uh, consolidate the nuclear program and you see Russia now trying to say well they'll uh, they'll re- they'll enrich it because they benefit from it they get paid for all of that. 
And if we erode those positions in China and Russia and others moving in and, and uh, violating the sanctions, any kind of, anything short of a total position of strength it will only lead to Iran becoming a nuclear power. And with all of the mischief it's doing, think of it having that capacity that to declare the intimidation will be the same whether they have the weapon or not. Yeah, well, when was the last time we saw Washington with a total position of strength on this issue? That's what's scary. And and it's, a, it's something that developed over a long period of time, and it's not something that just came under this administration, but we're now at the critical moment. And I will tell you, in Europe, they, they, they're concerned. They're saying that the America doesn't have, is not. they're afraid that America's going to, you know, uh, allow these exemptions, and then the Americans were Russian, so they're saying we're not going to be left behind, so their businessmen are there already negotiating for if the time will come. I, I want to say something else. You know, I talked many times about, you know, why we look back to look for and why our history. Look at what they're doing across the Middle East today to Jewish holy sites, to Christian holy sites. The, the, what we talked about, the Temple Mount and the, and the denial by Abbas, of our connection to it, saying we have no history there. They, they blew up the tomb of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, in Mosul. They, they blew up the Jobar synagogue where Elian Nabi Elijah was supposedly visited. We see that the tomb of Ezekiel was destroyed, and it was, it was made into a mosque, and the, and the inscriptions, very ancient Jewish inscriptions, destroyed. We see cemeteries across the region, Jewish cemeteries, being desecrated. We see Christian holy sites being uh, demolished. And the world doesn't say anything. We have no comment. We have nothing to say when you see the true nature and the barbarism and the goal to establish an Islamic State. And look at what Iran has achieved. That's why the four capitals are so important, because they have slowly and carefully manipulated themselves into this position. So they're advancing their goal of a, of a caliphate and their definition of the caliphate as opposed to the Muslim Brotherhood one, and as opposed to ISIS, which also declared a caliphate and moves ahead towards that end. And we didn't even bring up how many people were executed in the effort to... 852 people executed in Iran. Nobody says anything. That's one year, and that's the ones they admit to. Unbelievable. We're not talking about all the others who were killed there, the torture, the behavior against the minorities there. When, when ISIS does it, and... There isn't enough revulsion in the world to what ISIS is doing, the beheadings, the, which is now becoming more and more commonplace across mm. the region. All right, Malcolm, we got to go. Uh, but one more thing. That is a mazel tov to, to um, Javi and Meyer Dworkin on the birth of Esther Dworkin. Mazel tov. The newest grandchild. Mazel tov to everybody, the entire family. Future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM.